first week we had a uh, Pastor Bill who spoke on Jehovah Tikkunu, the uh, Jehovah Mkadeshkem. There we go, the Lord who sanctifies us. And then uh, Pastor Carol came and spoke on Jehovah Elroy, the Lord who sees. And then last week, together we looked at Jehovah Nisi. And today I am going to be looking at Jehovah Jireh. Now. Our main scripture is going to come from Genesis 22, so please just turn there. Uh, I'll keep us there for as long as we can, and then if the Lord wants us to change, we'll change. But Genesis 22 is our main scripture. Genesis 22 verse 1 to 5 says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose, went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. Uh, you know, the young man and, and I will go beyond, I'll read it for you easily, and worship and we will come back. Amen. Now a tip of when you are reading the Bible and a chapter starts with something like, after these things. Your first question should be, what are these things? All right? <laughs> Common sense, isn't it? <laughs> like, what are these things that uh, happened before this thing happened? And so that takes us back to Genesis chapter 21. Now, Genesis chapter 21 is a collection of very sad stories very happy stories, stories of frustration, and stories of relief in one chapter. It is a beautiful chapter. You can go and read it at home. But one of the highlights of Genesis chapter 21 is this. Is that this one time, Sarah was having a conflict with Hagar and the son. And Sarah felt like the best decision in that moment, because they weren't getting along, would be, for Hagar and Ishmael to be chased out of the house. Now you might think how would someone think like this. We'll understand in a moment. Because Sarah couldn't make this decision by herself. She went to a husband called Abraham. Now imagine you are Abraham for a moment and you are the husband and your wife comes to you and says, Babes, uh, listen, uh, <laughs> We haven't been getting along, babes Abraham. Yeah, call him Abby. <laughs> Listen, we haven't been getting along with this other woman. And I don't want the son of yours to be in this house anymore. Please chase them away. I don't want to see them here. Let them go. Now, this is a discussion between a man and a woman. Now, I don't know why men always think they are rational and women are more emotional. But anyway, we'll take it as such. So Abraham would come and say, hey, hey, listen. Don't be too emotional. <laughs> 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 
This is not an emotional discussion. This is a serious discussion. Don't be, stop crying. Don't be too emotional. You're talking about me chasing my son away from our house. Do you know what this is? Don't be emotional, Sarah. Can you think for a moment and put your, put your feelings aside, Sarah? You know? <laughs> you, you do, don't you? <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Andrew. I see somebody in the congregation is looking at me. It's like, yeah, this morning we actually did that. I just told her. Just put our emotions on the side. But anyway. <laughs> so they have this discussion, and the Bible says that Abraham was greatly displeased. I think it's a polite way of saying he was extremely angry. Like, like this is, I know this is not your son. So you don't feel the same way about them as I do. This might be an object of pain to you, Sarah, but this reminds me when I'm an old man that I have a child and you are telling me to chase away this child. You are joking. And so Abraham didn't agree with her. And I imagine in this scenario, obviously, there was no one who could mediate between them because this was such a patriarchal society. Even if they went to see the elders of the city, they would probably have said, Abraham, listen, Please talk to Hagar to behave, but hey, you can't, you can't chase her out of this house. She has to stay. If I was a psychologist or the pastor who was counseling them, I would have said the same thing. I would have said, listen, Abraham, look, you must be a responsible guy. Go speak to Hagar, okay? Tell her to respect Sarah, okay? Uh, and and they, they need to show honor. They, they need to, you know, they need respect you. But, but as far as chasing them is concerned... <laughs> Listen, don't do that. In the midst of everything, God comes to Abraham and says to him, listen to Sarah. It's like, God, do you know what she's asking for? She's asking me to chase away my son. And you're saying I should listen to her. Now, if you are married and the, the worst thing you want to hear when you know so well that you are right and your wife is wrong, is for you to listen to what they say. <laughs> it's like all I want to hear is somebody come in and say, look, Bianca, Mike is right. You are wrong. I I'm not looking for somebody who's going to tell me, just, she's irrational right now, but just take what she says. And this is exactly what God does. It doesn't make sense to our rational minds, but it makes sense in the plan of God. Because then God comes to Abraham and says to him, Listen to Sarah, because I will also bless Ishmael. But I don't want my plan to be mixed up with your plans. Because Ishmael was the plan of man and Isaac was the plan of God. And so God wanted his plan to be so pure such that anything that would corrupt it must go. And so God says to Abraham, let go of Ishmael and his mother. Now it's a painful thing. This lady Hagar is a maid in this house. She's originally from Egypt. She has to go back home. Probably she didn't have enough money because a maid was more like a slave at that time. They didn't own much. 
Now she's leaving and going with a son. And Abraham doesn't even know how his son is going to be raised. He doesn't know how his son is going to be looked after and taken care of. But he has to obey God and what God is saying. God says, let go of them. I will bless them and I will be with them. It required for Abraham to release his own sense of control that he would be able, as long as the son is under his roof, he would be fine. He had to change that from saying, as long as the Lord's hand is on the child, he will be fine. It's no longer just having the son under my roof. It is having the son under the hand of God because it's the Lord who is going to cause him to prosper. He might stay here with me, but that is not a guarantee that this boy is going to grow up the way that God wants him to grow up. And so Abraham releases Isaac. That is after these things. So after Abraham had released Ishmael, this began. What does Ishmael represent? I thought in my own definition I would define Ishmael like this. Any attempt to short circuit the plan, the will, and the purpose of God using fleshly and carnal means. So when you attempt at anything to short circuit the plan, the will, and the purpose of God for your life by manufacturing something that looks like the plan of God, so that you don't have to wait for His plan, at least you've got some comfort in the meantime when you're waiting for His plan. Must go. That's what the Lord said to Abraham. It must go. And sometimes in our own lives, there is this thing that we have as people. In our inability to wait on God, we create something that would look like what God would do. For instance, you know that God has promised you marriage, all right? And you know that you're going to get married because God said you will get married. Because the Bible says if any man cannot control themselves, what should they do? They should get married. All right? And so you know there's the promise of God on your life to be married. But because you feel like the plan of God is taking so long that there's this guy or this lady who wants to stay with you and make a copycat of a marriage. So that you can have a marriage outside of that marriage that God has planned for you. Outside of the covenant of God. At least this is going to keep you busy while you're waiting for the marriage that God has for you. And God says, until after these things, the following story is not going to happen. You've got to let go of anything that you have manufactured for yourself to look like something that God would do and just be patient and wait on his plan and his promise for your life and so then the story continues after these things God tested Abraham and said to him Abraham take your son now another tip of reading the Bible excuse me is emphasis all right there is why is God saying take your son your only son Isaac, okay, whom you love 
and go. And God is emphasizing, is putting this emphasis on the Son. Obviously, God knows that in, in chapter 21, he has just asked Abraham to let go of his son. So Abraham has full understanding that God is requiring him to go and sacrifice Isaac. But then God emphasizes the fact that it must be him. We'll understand that later. And so God says, go to the mountain that I will show you. Abraham wakes up in the morning and starts to go. He doesn't tell his servants that he's going with. He doesn't tell his son that he's going with. The Bible gives us an insinuation that he doesn't even tell Sarah that he's going to sacrifice Isaac. Now, the reason why I think he may not have told Sarah is because imagine you are Sarah. At 91, you've just had a child in your entire life, really. And then this guy comes and says, I heard from God that we need to kill this boy. Like, <laughs> you know... <laughs> I mean, Sarah is going to come to Abraham and say, Abraham, I know you need some psychological things. I know you are hearing voices in your head. I know, I, I, uh, did you really hear from God? Did God say we should do this? So maybe Abraham had his own reasons for keeping this prophetic instruction confidential. And I think we should follow the example of Abraham in some of the things that we do in our lives. When you have a prophetic dream or a prophetic instruction, it is important to be wise and selective with whom you share that prophetic dream or prophetic instruction with. You remember the story of, of Jacob. His dream almost got aborted because he told his dream to the wrong people. Remember Jesus in the New Testament when the Magi went and told the king that, hey, we are going to worship this king. When they were going back, the Lord warned them not to go back the same way and told the king because he knew that the king was going to come after Jesus and kill the dream or the promise that God brought for humanity. And it's important that when God gives you a prophetic instruction that you become selective and wise and choose people that you speak to. Because sometimes even before you start to pursue it, you are so discouraged that you are left with no strength to pursue it. That people begin to question, did God really say you should start that business? That, like, man, it's so tough. I, I tried, my uncle tried, and my grandfather tried. And they didn't get it. You know, do, do you think you should apply for that position? But, but I know God told me this. But the moment you share it with people that you shouldn't share with, you give them an opportunity to discourage you. And sometimes, if you're not strong enough, you abort your dream and give up on the pursuit of the things that God wants you to pursue. And so Abraham doesn't tell anybody. This is a big thing. I mean, you've got this only son, and the burnt offering meant that you kill your son, and you put them on this sacrificial altar and you watch them burn and then the smoke mounts to heaven and God is pleased now imagine this man is making this big decision of his life probably he's going to come back home without Isaac and he has to explain to his wife where Isaac is and yet he doesn't tell anybody about this 
I believe or part of the reasons why was because he knew that his prophetic dream had to be kept confidential. But also he knew the nature and the character of God that there is no way that God is going to require him to do something that is unfair before the Lord. And he kept saying, the Lord will provide for himself because Abraham knew the nature and the character of God, that God is so loving, God is so kind, that he's not going to ask you something so cruel and something so wicked. He's going to provide for himself. But he didn't know if his servants and other people knew God the same way he did. And that's the question. The problem is not so that you can become secretive with the things that you're doing. The problem is you don't know the quantity and the level of faith of the people that you are going to talk to. Because you don't have a measuring stick that you're going to go around everybody. How, how big is your faith? How big? Therefore, you just remain confidential. And only share with people that you think have enough faith to stand with you on that issue. Alright? Amen. And so then, Abraham journeys and goes. For three days, this guy's walking and he's walking with his son and the servants and on the third day he has a view of this place it's amazing how god takes us through journeys god says a word that you're going to go to the region of moriah and um, abraham just takes the word of god and begins the journey he doesn't ask so many questions on the journey because he knows that when God gives you an instruction he gives you the ability to to pursue it and so Abraham goes and they get to this place and he sees this place from far and he begins to do a sifting of people that should come with him and so he leaves his servants behind with the donkeys and decides to go with his son and we continue with the story Genesis uh, 22, 6 to 8, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now you can imagine this boy has been walking for three days. He knows this is a custom that they, they do with, their, with his father. He's saying, Dad, you know, I understand you. But I see the wood here. Like, you, you sure you haven't forgotten anything? You know, you sure you... And Abraham said this. He said, God will provide for himself. Sorry, God himself will provide the lamb. For the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Pause there for a moment. You know in your heart, as a father, that God has asked you to go and sacrifice your son. Obviously, you've already started crying and mourning in your own heart about the son that you're about to lose. And then this boy walks to you and says, Dad, I know we've done this for a few years. We're carrying this wood You've got the knife on the fire. We're about to go to the mountain. Where's the lamb? Abraham, instead of just breaking down, I think he must have been emotional at this point. Because we read the story in hindsight. We know the end of the story that God provided for himself. 
He only had faith but without evidence. He knew the nature and the character of God, but he didn't just have the story like we had it today. So you and I know how it's going to end, but he didn't. And so he's talking to his son right now without really knowing, only having the faith that God is so faithful that he'll provide for himself. And he says to the son, God will provide for himself. So then, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. it I read the Bible sometimes, like, especially when it's stories. Imagine Isaac is there, his dad has already told him, uh, your God is going to provide. And then he's Abraham, Abraham is building an altar, and he's doing all these things. And the boy is just watching, he's like, I hope my dad is not just like, I hope it's because he's old, he forgot. No, I, I, just, I just don't know, you know, maybe there were stories about old people forgetting in those days. I, but, but, but the son is watching. As the father is doing all these things, Isaac is watching. And then suddenly, I just don't know how this discussion started between him and his dad. His dad is coming and starting to bind him. Like literally, that you just told me now that God is going to provide. Why are you doing this to me? Maybe, maybe, maybe Abraham went to him and said, son, you know, God hasn't provided. I just need to tie you up <laughs> and burn you up, you know? I just... As a father, I can imagine as a father, Abraham, with so much love that he has for his son. Also at the time that he had the son. But he has to have the courage to still obey God in the midst of that. Maybe he walked up to his son and, and kicked him in the... I, I just don't know how he started it. You know, it, it's awkward, isn't it? Like, how did he start? Like, imagine with me for a moment. Just take 30 seconds. How did he start? Did he talk to him and explain what was happening? Did Abraham force him into it? The Bible says this. In when you read, uh, I think, chapter 23. Just a few years after this incident, Sarah died. Sarah died when Isaac was about 35 to 37. It is estimated because of the years that I mentioned there. At this time... Isaac was not a child. As you may have seen as we've been journeying together, he is talking. He knows what's going on. He's been asking his father where they're going, where's the lamb. So he's mature enough to understand the sacrificial burnt offering that God uh, had required of his father. And he knew where they were going. So he wasn't just a child or a baby that, God, that the father would just tie around and, and put on the altar. And he, thank you, Pastor Andrew, and he carried the wood. He must have been strong enough to carry the wood. So we, we can make an educated assumption that he was not a young baby. He was a mature boy who could do things. And so his father started binding him. This place is called, or one of the practices here is called the binding. The binding is a voluntary Surrender of a person to be bound so that they can be a sacrifice for others. And so here we are seeing a character in Isaac that is a parallel of Christ. Because now he's submitting to the will of his father 
to be sacrificed as a burnt offering for the atonement of the sins of his family. Willingly, because his father was not strong enough to bind him forcefully. And so he's surrendering to the will of his father. And his father binds him. And we see that character of Jesus Christ. The father puts the wood on his back. We see the cross that Jesus is carrying on his back. The very wood that Isaac was going to be placed on and be sacrificed as a burnt offering. The same cross that Jesus Christ was going to be crucified on for the sacrifice of mankind. We are beginning to see the picture of the gospel with the story of Abraham and Isaac. As they are journeying. So he submits and is bound willingly. So Jesus Christ submits and he is bound willingly. In fact, when people came to arrest him, his disciples wanted to fight. You know, Peter was a fighter. He, he was a, you know, you could call him, you know, like a, like a cassie fighter. He carried knives. <laughs> when the soldiers arrived, he cut one of the soldiers' ears and he stood back. It's like, come back to me. And Jesus says, cool down, Peter. If I wanted to fight, I would have called legions of angels to come and fight for me. This I am doing because I'm fulfilling the promise and the will of my Father. I am doing this willingly that I'm being bound. Nobody's forcing me into it. It is not because I lack strength. It is because I'm submitting to the will of my Father. And so we see the nature of Christ, or rather the character of Christ in Isaac. And so then his father binds him and puts him on the altar. And he's about to kill him. I mean, why would also God wait for that long? You know, I don't know if you read Bible, the Bible like that. Like, God, you could have done that when we were, you know, in the valley. Why did you wait until I just was about to kill this boy? Then, then you provide it. There was something that God was forming in the heart of Abraham. That without the process, there would be no proceeds. And God knew that what he was about to birth outside of Abraham was so important that unless he went through the process, Abraham would never have been strong enough to hold the promises of God. He was going to be the father of nations. Nations that would in years to come give birth to a Christ who would save humanity. And so God knew that, hey, if this guy does not go through the process, he would not be able to sustain my promise. And so God waited until this time. And then the story says this. God said to Abraham, call to Abraham, do not, sorry, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him, for I know now that you fear God. I didn't know then. I know now. I don't like reading the Bible and cutting, but I just need to mention this. God is all-knowing. Do we know that? Why would God know now? Because God is so all-knowing. He knows everything before they even begin. Are you saying God was ignorant when Abraham started the journey? No, God knows now 
that the display of your obedience and your ability to hold on to the process is a show that you obey me. He didn't just know as a confession of the heart. Now God knows as an act of faith. God knows because you have acted it out. You haven't just thought it in your mind that I love God. You have acted on the love that you think you have of God when a situation demands that you prove the love. And then now God sees that you fear me because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And in Hebrew or American, is it Amaic? Yeah. Aramaic, there we go. It says Jehovah Jireh. And to this day it is called, sorry, to this day uh, it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Now, Abraham has an opportunity to discover something about God. I want to say this here, and, and we still have about five minutes to go. Abraham didn't name God to be Jehovah Jireh. It is legitimate if you say, you know, God is Jehovah Jireh. It is very legitimate. But, but it's not a name that a human being gave God. Abraham came to face, rather face to face, with the nature and the character of God. And based on his experience, he named that place. Based on the nature and the attributes of God, he discovered in that moment, he named that place. Sometimes I believe, family, that our greatest worship is not born out of just singing nice worship music. Sometimes it is. But I feel like our greatest worship is born out of an experience with God and coming to a place where we realize, man, this God is so good. I thought I was going to die. God is so good. And sometimes that's where our experiences, or rather our greatest worship is born when we have gone through the process and suddenly realize, ooh, this God is indeed a provider. So if you're looking for points, what does Jehovah Jireh mean? In this context, it's important to understand in this church we take uh, care of teaching the Bible correctly. God is so powerful to provide for your financial needs. God is so powerful to provide for your medical needs. But Jehovah Jireh in the context of Genesis 22 is not a financial Jehovah Jireh. This was going to be like this. Abraham was going to sacrifice his only son as a sacrifice for the atonement of their sins. So God providing for himself is God saying the atonement and the redemption of your sin will no longer be dependent on your sacrifice. I will provide for myself someone who is going to be sacrificed so that you can be atoned for. That you won't have to do it anymore. You will keep your Isaac. Hence then Paul could say in Ephesians 2. That hey it is by grace 
that we are saved through faith that it is not of our own doing lest any man should boast. So then God is preaching to Abraham a message of the gospel and says to him, hey, listen, it is by grace that you're going to be saved. I will provide a sacrifice for myself for you to come to me. And therefore, God will provide. God will provide. And so then, we go to this. God providing means you and I have access and can approach him at any time. That we have access to God. The writer of Hebrews says, come boldly to the throne of grace so that you can obtain mercy in the time of your need. Don't come shamefully. Don't come with guilt. Come boldly to the throne of grace because Jesus Christ has made a way for you. Why? Because the Father has provided for himself a lamb who is Jesus Christ, our sacrifice. Now as a secondary or a byproduct of God being Jehovah Jireh, then we have this surety that even when things don't make sense, God is faithful enough to bless us. That you might be going through some things right now. Like Abraham is journeying and going to this place and having all these question marks in his mind. Even in the midst of the question marks that you have about your life, about your finances, about your studies, your children, your marriage. God knows those questions and God is faithful enough to provide for you. God is faithful enough. And thirdly, you can have confidence that you will not live in lack. Why? Because your father is the one who provides for you. Do you mind standing on, with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The Father will provide. And He provided for Himself a lamb. It's the same thing that the Father God did. At the Mount Moriah, which is the same place as Golgotha, where Christ was crucified. There, the lamb that was provided by the Father was sacrificed as a type of Jesus Christ in the New Testament on Golgotha who is going to be sacrificed for the sins of humanity so that the Father would bring all humanity to himself. And then John could send John 3 and said to Nicodemus, listen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Because God gave. I want to do two things here this morning. If you're here and you know 
that you've been trying things so hard in your own strength. You have been trying to put your own Isaac on the altar, thinking that the father would be pleased with your sacrifice. Maybe that Isaac represents for you your own efforts. I'm inviting you this morning that the father has already provided for himself. That it is by grace, through faith, that we are saved. And if you are here, you know that you have not received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You have not invited him in your heart. I'm inviting you to just wave at me and say, that's me. I have not invited Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And I will give you an opportunity to do that here this morning. The second part of this is, if there's any way in your life that you know so well that you have been trying in your own strength, I'm inviting you to surrender to Christ Jesus this morning and invite Him in that very thing that you have been trying so hard and yet you have not succeeded. Take a moment to just invite Christ Jesus in there. So Lord, you have provided for yourself. Come, I invite you in the space of my marriage, in the space of my career, in the space of my single life, in the space of my business. I invite you here. In this new role, Lord, that you've given me, I invite you here. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you this morning and we are grateful that you have made a way for us. A way for us to come to you. We thank you for the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. We thank you for the redemption of our lives. That today we can say, Abba Father, that you are our daddy. You are our father. Lord, we thank you that we are no longer aliens, people that are outside of the commonwealth of God, but we are of the household of faith. And we thank you this morning because of Jesus Christ. Lord, we bless you. Come on, family. Can we give the Lord a round of applause? Thank you, Jesus.